0: Welcome to the Seven Figures Podcast, Smart Money Strategies for Women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union. Today on the show, a lot of our listeners have told us they want to know more about investing. So, today in our No Dumb Questions segment, we'll explain the difference between a mutual fund and an ETF. Plus, what do you need to know after a divorce? Author, publisher, confidence coach Sheila Kennedy is here to share the three biggest financial lessons she learned when she became a single mom. And we'll take a seat at the kids' table, the best way to get your kids excited about opening up their first savings account. All of that today on the 7 Figures Podcast. Here's Sandy Waters.
1: Thank you for being here, taking time out of your super busy day to listen to the 7 Figures Podcast. If this is your first ever episode, welcome. The goal of this podcast is to get you to the point where you have minimal money stress. You just feel ah, comfortable. You feel confident. You feel secure about your future. You have a plan in place. You understand what's going on. So you never feel like someone's talking down to you because you get it. You understand the money lingo out there. That's the spot we want to get you to. We love hearing from you. Sandywaters989 at gmail.com. Love to hear about your money victories. And before we start, we want to give a money victory shout out to Michelle Vanderpool-Tamazuski. She said, Just paid off my husband's credit card that we used for a trip to Disney in 2017, and now using the extra money for a patio. Nice. Wait for the patio until you can pay for it in full. We will cheers to that. Congrats, Michelle
0: the answers, all the answers, I could find you, I could find
1: you, you. <laughs> When we asked on Facebook what you wish they taught in school, quite a few people mentioned the stock market. Great. Let's tackle that today. In No Dumb Questions, our CFP Erica Cummings from the Harmony Financial Wellness Group at RBC Wealth Management is here. Hi, Erica. Hi. Happy Friday. It was kind of cool to see a lot of people say, hey, I wish I knew about the stock market because I want to be more active on that side of things. So can you explain... Let's start here. Mutual fund versus ETF, because those are two words we hear a lot of. Sure.
2: It's really important that people are, are reaching out because you should never invest in anything that you don't understand. So let yourself be as knowledgeable as possible before you make these decisions. But there is a distinct difference between the two. And the ETF is actually kind of young in the investing world. So mutual funds have been around for quite some time. Basically, when you invest in a mutual fund, You're like you and me, we buy the fund and we contribute to a pool of money that's managed by a team of investment professionals. That team then selects a mix of stocks or bonds or money market accounts or any other options in the mutual fund. So each mutual fund obviously has its own objectives. So if it's a stock fund, there's a team of professionals that are selecting the mix within that particular discipline. The goal of having someone actively manage the fund is to obviously benefit from their expertise and you're hoping to kind of beat the average market returns plus mutual funds have always been since their inception the best way to spread out your investment risk or what's known as diversification. So you have much more of an opportunity to invest in more stocks or more bonds, whatever it is you're you're utilizing, than you would if you were to buy them individually, because we just don't have enough money to buy every single company that's out there. And it's more risky to do yeah, the individual and, stock. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So then along came something called an ETF, which is like a mutual fund. Exchange-traded funds give investors the chance, again, to pool all our money together so that we can invest in a variety of companies. Just like their name suggests, ETFs are funds that are traded on a stock market exchange. So ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund. They're basically a cross between a mutual fund and stock. ETFs generally mirror a market index. So unlike mutual funds where there's a manager that's choosing which stocks to put in the fund, you're essentially buying an entire index. So for example, you would buy the S&P 500 in an ETF. You'll own all the shares of all 500 stocks. So the ETF is just the actual index. There's not someone deciding whether or not you should own one stock over the other. They're also designed to be more liquid so you can buy and sell them all throughout the trading day. So they do sell like a stock, unlike a mutual fund, which are all completed, all transactions are completed at the end of the the market close. But essentially, there's a lot of similarities there. But the biggest thing is, instead of investing in just the market as a whole and kind of leaving it there, you are hiring someone, a professional, who's deciding within that S&P 500, perhaps 150 of the best stocks or the ones that they think are the best. They think.
1: Yeah. Which obviously now that you're hiring someone, it's more expensive. There's more fees attached to a mutual fund than there are an ETF. Yes. And there's times
2: that they get it really right. So the fee totally makes sense. And then there's times that funds can get it really wrong. All right. Perfect. How can we follow you, Erica? You can find us at HarmonyFinancialWellness.com. Also, we're on Facebook by the same name. If you want to get on our newsletter or hear about our webinars, we have a new podcast coming up soon. You can reach out to me at Erica.comings at Perfect. Thanks, Erica. You're welcome. Have a great weekend.
1: Money Lesson. You have learned the hard way. I think we all have a story that we can share. And you know what? I see this episode as a warning, kind of like a heads up before you get into that, oh crap, now what moment of your life? Uh, A lot of you might be listening to this because you've just gone through a divorce and now it's all on you. So First, you will be just fine. Everything is going to work out okay. Sheila Kennedy is here, author, publisher, and confidence coach. How are you, Sheila? I am doing great. Thanks, Sandy. How are you? Good. We love having you on because you have that uplifting spirit about you. You just make it sound and feel all better.
3: Well, thank you. That is probably one of the nicest things you've ever said.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what? When we talk about, and there are some women, I mean, there are some women that are listening right now and they're listening because it is all on them. Whatever the reason, they just need to know about their money and their finances. And you have been there. So if you were to give us the three biggest lessons that you've learned when you became a single mom, what would that be?
3: Okay, so I am going to speak directly to probably the divorcees out there. And the reason being is because the the only thing is the very first thing. Um, And that is to not rely on your alimony to live or your maintenance payments or whatever. So if you have created a settlement with your ex-spouse where you are getting a certain amount of money every month, that is, that will help sustain your life. Now I'm not talking about child support. I'm talking, this is separate. Um, Do not live on that money. Go make your own money. And you can keep that in a savings account. You can spend it as fun money or whatever, or use it, you know, to enhance your child's life if you have children. Um, But don't rely on that money because it won't always be there. Mm. Eventually those payments are going to stop. And then what do you do? Um, And I did learn that the hard way. Like I was doing well, I had some, you know, I had a job and whatever. But when that extra money left every month, I was in dire straits. And I was like, Oh, no, what do I do now? Um, And I just wasn't prepared. And I don't know why, like, but I wasn't. So I don't want people if you have the the blessing of having that maintenance payment or that alimony payment um, be smart with it, invest it. That would probably be the best thing to do with it. Um, but to make your own money to live on. Okay. Um, one of the other things, the second thing that I wanted to talk about is being aware of your credit, um, and your credit rating and please establish it. You know, when I got divorced, I wanted no, you know, all of our Credit was joint. And so I closed all of those accounts and I went off into my life and I didn't have a car payment and I didn't have a house payment and I didn't have credit cards. And when I just went to go buy a new car, that became a big issue because they're like, well, you're a credit risk. How can I be a credit risk? My credit score was 800. Um, but it's not anymore because I don't have any open accounts.
1: Uh-huh. right. You, do Right? Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. So it was a big deal, um, you know, fighting with the banks about rates, you know, this week, um, because I don't have any payment history that isn't 10 years old. So that's an issue. So make sure that you're kind of aware of that. Keep your credit rating um, as high as possible and be aware of your credit score. Like I just didn't, I didn't even worry about it because I wasn't in a position where I needed to Mm -hmm. worry about it. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't buying anything big. I wasn't, you know, I saved my money and buy paid cash for everything and, you know, all of that. So you think you're doing this really good thing and <laughs> being be really responsible. And yet it really hurt me in the long run. So just be aware of that. And then one of the other things that, and I understand why I didn't But I also understand how important it is for me to do this or for anybody to do this. And that's to budget in some fun money and some self-care money. Because when you're doing it all on your own, it's exhausting. And you need to recharge. And it's okay. It's not a luxury to have a day away. It's not a luxury to go out to dinner every once in a while so that you don't have to be the one to cook one more time. It is actually mental health awareness. (laughs) And I refused to budget that in. And so I continually told myself I couldn't afford it. I can't do that right now. I can't. And all it did is burn me
1: out. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, The mama guilt was probably strong.
3: Right. Well, you know, and I should be buying her a new whatever Mm -hmm. or, you know, make sure she has everything. Um, And that is, you have to take care of you. And so it's imperative that you budget in um, some, and it might not always be money. Sometimes it's just time. Like it's okay to have time just for you. Um, That can be just as beneficial as being able to go to the spa for the day. Um, So anyway, those were three things that I really did learn the hard way as I was coming out of my divorce. And, you know, 10 years later, I can certainly say with confidence that these things are not what I would do again. Uh, I can't tell you how important it is to have your own money. And um, whether you're married or not, or you've lost a spouse, whatever, but to have your own resources, because your life should never be dictated by what you can do because of finances. You know people are in bad situations and can't feel like they they don't feel like they can leave because they can't afford it mm-hmm. um and that's that's a terrible place that's a terrible feeling um to be dependent on somebody else for your financial well-being and um still so make your own awesome. some way shape or form yeah marketplace, facebook marketplace sell your stuff that you don't need you know i mean but find a nest egg so that you can By your own self-care and that you can supplement your own income and, you know, all of those things so that, um, you are a whole human being and not just, um, you know, like I want everybody to be healthy in all ways.
1: Yeah. And you know what, with technology nowadays too, there is money out there. There are plenty of ways to make the money. You just got to look for it and believe in yourself that everything is going to be just fine.
3: Yes. And, um, you know, It makes me really sad when I hear stories, especially, you know, in COVID and and people are losing their jobs Mm -hmm. and they don't know how, you know, there's always a way to make money. There is always a way to make money, to bring money in. And it might not always be the most fun way. It might mean doing something that you never thought you would do, but that humility will also bring in Abundance.
1: Yeah. Sheila, where can we follow you and uh, and find you and, and learn about all the stuff that you're doing?
3: Sure. Um, thezebraink.com. and that's ink with a K, not a C. <laughs> um, and I am on social media, all the different platforms, and I think almost all of them are The Zebra
1: Inc. Please connect with me there. <laughs> At the kids' table, our money expert CEO of Money Savvy Generation, Susan Beecham, is here. Hi, Susan. Hey, Sandy. All right. So today, we talked to the kids about savings and checking accounts. What is the difference between a checking account and a savings account? A checking account
3: is where, like, for all the bills and, like, taxes for your house. So if you buy things for your house, it would go, um into your checking account and what was the other account
1: a savings account
3: a savings account is for like things that you want it's not necessarily things that you need it's just like things that you want to buy that you just want to have money for a checking account could be an account that you like when you give people checks that could be where you get the money from and a savings account is say you want like a new guitar or something, you put money in that savings account until you get enough money and you don't touch that money.
1: What is the difference between a checking account and a savings account?
3: Um, a savings account saves your
1: money for like college or like something else.
4: And what's a checking account?
1: Um, it seems to me it's like you check out check out your money from the checking account? Yeah. All right. Let's get the kids excited about these accounts.
4: (laughs) Well, you know, being able to check out money from your checking account is exciting, right? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. (laughs) You know, both saving and checking accounts are important for different reasons. So the big distinguishing characteristic, I always say savings accounts are for holding your money for later and checking accounts are for using your money now. That's the big difference. So, um, both are useful tools and you should start with a savings account as early as you can because one of the most common gifts kids get from grandparents is $5 here, $10 there. They get money as gifts as well as, you know, toys and clothing and they need to know where to put that money and you need to move it from their dresser or the floor of their bedroom to a better place. So the earlier, the better, take them with you.
1: I was gonna ask you that a lot of us, I think we remember that day distinctly when our parents took us to the bank and open up an account. Should we wait until they're old enough to go with us
4: and experience that? When it comes to a savings account, what does weight mean i don't think a two-year-old is gonna uh, get it but a child as young as four years old is beginning to understand the concept of saving okay when they can watch money vis- visibly accumulate so if you take the money from them like a lot of parents i'll see you know it's a birthday and there's a check in the birthday card from nana and pop and mom reaches over, grabs that check and puts it somewhere else. And the kid goes, where did that go? Well, that's too abstract. They under, don't understand where it went. You do, you're making sure it doesn't get thrown out in the garbage, right? With all the wrapping paper. So you an experience makes the abstract concrete and concrete is what you have to make these lessons uh, become or else a child doesn't get it. So take them with you even if it's a pain in the ankle to get them in the car, to get them in the bank, to stand there while you're waiting for someone to help you and they're fidgeting, even if it's a problem, do it because it's an experience and they will remember it just like you talked about how you remembered your first trip. So you have to be there with them because you need to be at least 18 years old to open up an account. So you can open up a joint account um, with your child as their parent or legal guardian, You're the co-owner and um, a lot of community banks and sometimes some of the what I call big banks have specially tailored savings accounts for kids. They call them junior accounts sometimes and they have higher interest rates than the average adult savings account. And that's just to keep kids engaged. And so you should definitely check that out in your community and find out if there is that as well. Some banks do go an awful long way. Uh, the community bank where my girls grew up in, they went out of their way to provide incentives for them to come in. So when they would reach $100 in savings, they would get this, wonderful certificate for the local sweet shop that they could go and spend.
1: That's cool. Yeah, I I do hear that my kids too, they get rewarded if they make, you know, three, $5 deposits in a row within a certain time frame, they match the money or something simple like that to get them, yeah, motivated and excited.
4: Because they don't necessarily uh, care as much about the interest that they're earning on that account, but they Mm -hmm. do care about that you know, saving certificate that they can go spend or the reward and that's okay. That works. So take them with you and understand that when they're opening up a savings account at a very young age, they have more time to practice. And that's what you're trying to do. First of all, they're going to listen to you. They're going to, they have to, right? They're they're at your mercy. So they're going to take the checks and you're going to explain how the checks really represent money. Um, you're going to make that concrete. So if it's a $10 check, you're going to take out 10 singles and put it in front of them and say, this is actually what this check represents, $10. And then you're going to go to the bank and you're going to deposit the check and you're going to show them what that deposit looks like. And if they begin to earn interest, you're going to show them, look, your money's growing. And at a very early age, that's it. They're more interested in the Tootsie Pop at this point than they really are in the interest. It's Okay. What's really magical about a savings account when it comes to your child's behavior is if you introduce, once you have money, you pay yourself first, you take the money to the bank, you make the deposit. What you're doing is you're teaching them a habit that will help them ultimately to learn to live on less than they earn. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, stop and think about that for a moment. So they get their paycheck and they pay themselves first, and they put some money in the bank. All of a sudden, their daily money uh, expenditures are going to be based on that new amount, less the money that they saved. That could translate into living on less they earn as a habit, and that could translate to less likely to incur debt. Yeah. So, checking accounts. A lot of people are ready to kick checking accounts to the curb and they say, we don't really need checking accounts. Checking accounts are going away. But here's a lesson you don't learn when you don't use a checking account you don't learn about overdrafts. When you have a debit card, it's not so concrete about spending more than you have in your account. But with a checking account, you balance it. There's a ledger, there's a suggestion that you put what you have and you deduct what you write a check for or what you withdraw. An overdraft is something that is very costly to kids, and they have to learn the cost of an overdraft and how to keep track of their money so that they don't incur an overdraft. You can pay your bills from a checking account. You can pay other people. Um, you can use your debit card to withdraw it. Again, checking accounts, using your money now, savings accounts, holding your money for later
1: and what do you say to because kids nowadays I mean you're right with the whole kick the checking account out of here because everyone's using Venmo
4: right and and again there's no check and balance on Venmo there's only money out that's a perfectly appropriate transaction for an older uh, uh young adult who understands abstract concepts but kids need to learn to be accountable for the balance Mm -hmm. all right so they need a concrete ledger in front of them and it's critically important because we live in a world where people make money off our overdrafts overdrafts can cost anywhere from 35 to 75 dollars and so you don't want to spend the majority of your money on an overdraft fee You wanna be smarter than that. You wanna teach your kids to be smarter than that. And the best way to do that is very concretely to have them do the math, sometimes with a pencil and a piece of paper. Awesome,
1: thank you, Susan. How can we reach out to you and learn about more stuff that you're working on?
4: So you can follow me at my blog, which is SusanBeacham.com. And you can find Money Savvy Generation's award-winning products and some free resources at MoneySavvy.com.
1: Perfect, have a great weekend. You too it wraps it up another show let me know if there's ever a topic you want us to answer in no dumb questions if there's a, a guest you want me to try to get on the show or if you need help talking to the kids about money this podcast is for you cheers to each and every single one of you who is proud to say that you're on your way to being a financially confident woman talk to you next week
0: thanks for listening to the seven figures podcast Click subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Seven Figures is sponsored by Advantage Federal Credit Union.